it's so good to be here this morning. Uh, it's been a, a long time coming, getting on this side of the world. I actually live on this side of the world, though. I know, you know, but, you know, life has me going on the other side of the world. But I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, Musa, thank you so much for that introduction. You are awesome, man. You're amazing. Um, yeah, guys, Springboks won yesterday. You know, I, in my lifetime, I've now experienced three World Cup wins, you know? You know, that's a huge thing. Anyway, but uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, we've, uh, I think church-wide, we've been uh, going, uh, studying the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and I, there, there is so much that can be said with the different themes that are in the book of Ephesians. And, and uh, we need weeks, actually, to sit down and study all those, all those various themes. But we do have only, I guess, one Sunday. And, uh, but we'll make it work, you know, because God is here and God always does his thing. All right. Uh, I'm, I must say, I dropped the ball this morning. I don't have the compulsory pastor family picture. <laughs> you know, there's that every, every visiting, you know, there's that compulsory. You know, I don't have it. Okay. I'm so sorry. Uh, my family's not here. They're going to be here for the, the 11 o'clock service. Uh, my, I'm married, uh, my wife, Unati, and I have been married 10 years. Uh, we've got four kids, which is why we don't make any morning service. <laughs> we can <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Okay. Uh, so, so we mostly do evening services, uh, but they'll be here next, uh, next service. And uh, so, again, apologies for, for not having that picture up. All right, so we are going to be talking on the theme of the bride, which is taken out of Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to be reading through a scripture out of Ephesians 5. It's going to be a bit of a lengthy scripture. Today is going to be a lot of scripture, but it's necessary to hit home this whole idea of the bride that we get in scripture. And uh, so we're going to start there with just... Where do I point? Am I pointing? There. Come back. Please, maybe. You know, can you take it one back? <laughs> okay, can you control, you can... There we go. You can move. Uh, there we go. Okay, we'll start there. Maybe we should start in prayer. I think it's a good. <laughs> Jesus, we we thank you so much that we can gather like this as your body. Uh, we thank you that it is it is such a privilege that we could gather people from all over the city, different stories, different backgrounds, but you bring us together. It's your doing, and it's for your glory. Uh, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the preaching and your teaching of your word. Thank you that you bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so if you've been to enough weddings, you've probably come across the scripture. All right? Okay, so it starts, uh, and I know some people get nervous around this text, but uh, again, we'll dive into it. I can see some heads already like nodding, like, yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> 
All right. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Next slide, please. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife See that she respects her husband. All righty. So that's a lot of scripture, but we'll slowly unpack it. And hopefully at the end of uh, today, you'll have a better understanding of the scripture. And so Paul is writing uh, to the Ephesians, and he's writing uh, as, a, as, a, as a Jew with a, an Old Testament idea and an understanding of the scriptures. And so what I always like to do is go back so that we can understand you know, understand the scripture correctly. So we need to look at this whole idea of a bride or a man and a woman coming together. And we see this idea first in Genesis. And uh, so in the beginning, the story goes, God created uh, the heavens. He created the, 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 the stars, the moon, uh, everything. He created the land. He created the seas, the valleys, the hills, everything. He created the flora and fauna. And once he was done creating all of that, he then created man. And then in Genesis 2, we find God is there with his man, Adam, and uh, everyone seems to have a partner. You know, so like oh, he's looking around and, uh, and uh, all the lions have lionesses, right? All the deers have does, all the bugs have ladybugs. <laughs> and, uh, and he's looking at Adam and he says, no, actually, do you know what? I need to find, everyone else has a suitable partner and a suitable counterpart. Adam also needs a suitable partner and a suitable counterpart. Someone that is his equal. And so God then puts Adam into a deep sleep and he opens up his side, pulls out his ribbon out of his rib, he makes Eve and then wakes Adam up out of that sleep. And Adam is like, as they joke, he goes like, whoa, man. And he says, I shall call you woman. And uh, Adam is just infatuated with this, this, this beauty, this lady. And uh, he, he, he begins to say, this is the flesh of my flesh and the bone of my bone which is like Hebrew poetic language for like, yo, 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 baby, you know, that's, that's the Hebrew, that's the translation of what that was. 
And then at the end of Genesis 2, and then we have that phrase that we found in Ephesians 5, and it says, Therefore, can you flip? There we are. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That was the scripture that Paul was referring to in, uh, in uh, Ephesians 5. And you see, so this whole idea of marriage is actually a motif or a theme that flows throughout scripture. So we see that at the beginning of Scripture, Scripture begins with a wedding. And all the way through Scripture, we start to see God speaking and showing and demonstrating this whole idea and this whole picture of a wedding. And from this initial image, we get the template of what we see as wedding today, as weddings today or marriage today. Uh, today we have uh, all sorts of traditions, you know, I think the classic way, the traditional way, I guess in most cultures nowadays, is, you know, a guy will see a girl, woo, and then along the way they build a relationship, you know, take it to the movies or wherever it is that people go, you know, woo her, and then some point, you know, he gets down on one knee and then he proposes to her, and then she accepts the proposal, hopefully, and... Uh, then they go into a process of beginning to plan for a wedding. You know, if you are, and we know like weddings are, are like serious business. Yeah. Serious business, I can see people like, yeah, you know. Do you know what the problem was top billing. Yeah. Top billing messed it up for all of us. You know, so as soon as weddings come about, you know, we start sweating. Or the husband or the, the, the father of the bride starts sweating if you are white, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it's this whole process of basically, and then we have the wedding ceremony. Uh, the people come together and they're witnesses, they gather, and it's a whole party, and then it's awesome. And then the, 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 the bride and the groom become husband and wife, and then they go off on honeymoon, and it's good times, right? That's kind of the idea. But the cool thing with Scripture, again, is that, as I said, the, the, the Bible begins with a wedding. It actually also ends with a wedding. And this is, where, this is where Jesus comes in because it's this whole theme and idea of a father finding a bride for his son. Just as God did that for Adam, God does the same for Jesus. Jesus comes down to earth to do what? To find a bride. Yes, Jesus did a whole bunch of cool things for us. But one of the core things that he came to do when he came to earth was to find a bride. And this is communicated in, in a whole lot of things that we see in Scripture and a whole lot of things that Jesus does and a whole lot of things that his disciples did after he left. And so today I want to look at a, an ancient Jewish wedding. So we could pick up again what Jesus was coming to do when he was here. And uh, it's going to be a lot of scripture, but I trust that some lights will go on as we kind of scroll through uh, this passage or these different passages. And so the... Can I get some water quickly? So... The whole process would start, the whole wedding, the whole wedding process would have basically two, sta two stages. 
The first stage is what was known as the, the betrothal, and the second stage was known as the wedding itself. So the betrothal is kind of like an engagement, but it's, it's a lot more intense than an, what we have as an engagement today. And so how it begins is that the father would go out, and uh, in those days, I mean, the communities were quite close-knit. So people knew each other's families. And so the father would scout and check, okay, my son is ready to get married now. Okay, who, which lady in our community that comes from a great family can I, you know, connect him with? And so the father would look around in the community and, you know, say, okay, do you know what? This is the lady I want my son to, to marry. And those days they had those arranged marriages. And so the son would then say, okay, dad, I'm going to go out and uh, chat to this lady. So the son would then go out and approach the lady and just, you know, kind of give her a wink and say, listen, you, you know, you're the one. You're the one. And, uh, and ask her, listen, can we come over to your house and talk about marriage? That's how real it was, right? And so a key thing that we need to pick out there is that it was the son or the father that chose the bride. It was the son or the father that chose the bride. The bride didn't come up and say, hey, listen, choose me, choose me. He went out and he chose his bride. And this is something that we see in Scripture. Can we? Jesus, when he's praying for the church and he's praying for those that will believe in him, he begins to pray this. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. The Father gives the bride. The Father chooses the bride. So then what, the, what would happen then is that the son now would go with his father over to, his, uh, to the, the potential bride's home and would meet the father there. Then there they would gather around a table. And at that table, some significant things would happen. Firstly, they would pull out a marriage contract. And in this marriage contract, it speaks of covenant. So it speaks of what the husband, what is expected of the husband to do and what is expected of the, the wife to do. And it lays it all out. It's, it's what I expect you to do and all the things that they promise each other. And so the, the bride-to-be then checks out this contract and reads it and scans through it and says, Listen, so this is what I'm being called to commit to. And it's a contract. It's a contract that is binding. Even though they're not at the wedding ceremony yet. And so if the lady now gets to a place where she's like, you know what? I think I'm feeling this guy. What the guy would do then is then push a, uh, a chalice of wine over to the lady. And if the lady was interested in the guy, if this lady wanted to commit uh, into this covenant, she would then drink of the cup. But if she wasn't interested, she'd put the cup aside and say, look, I'm waiting for someone else. Let's read uh, as Jesus is speaking from the Passover. He says, and he took this a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
So when Jesus was doing that, the disciples knew what he was doing. He was offering them a covenant. And again, covenant was something that was binding. It was marriage. And what happened in those days, when you had, when you had drunk of that cup, you were, you were seen as one that was married in that community. Even though you were considered just betrothed. Thereafter, sitting around the table, the bride has now accepted to join with this man what, she would, what, what the man would now do, or the father would do, would then give a bride price or a dowry for, to, the, to the bride's uh, father. And uh, the dowry represented a value, like how much they valued this bride. The one home in valuing the other home. And it was kind of like what Lobola is in, uh, in some of our cultures. And so it was a price that had to be paid. And again, it, was, it, it established how much the one family valued that particular bride. And so again, we go to Jesus. We hear this language with the apostles writing. With this in mind, with this in context. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And it's speaking specifically about that. That there was that exchange. God paid that price through his son Jesus Christ who gave everything as a dowry for this particular bride that is his, is his church. His, he gave everything. That's how much he valued the church. He gave his very life to the church and for the church. And then whilst again they're sitting around that table, after the dowry has been given, they would then begin to give the bride gifts. The first gift would be a token or would be like a coin, something that's of great value. And then the second gift would be uh, like, uh, like garments or, or uh, makeup, and, but things that beautify the bride. And so the first gift, when we read in Ephesians, alludes to the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the next scripture there. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. Here's the thing with that particular gift, is that it sealed the covenant. And it was something that was supposed to be a public expression of the covenant. So like we have a ring today, so that people can know, hey, you're married. This was a seal. So that you knew that, hey, you are promised to someone. As this particular scripture tells us, that we guarantee our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. The inheritance that is Jesus. So we have that Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee that we are His. And nothing and no one can take us away from Him. And then the other thing. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, it says, Since you are so eager to have special abilities, the Spirit gives 
seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So it speaks about now the things that were gifts that were given to beautify the bride. So things like perfumes and fancy garments and, and makeup and things like that. And so if the token that is given as a, as a sign of being sealed and set apart to your, to your bridegroom is the Holy Spirit, then the gifts that are given to beautify the bride are the gifts of the Spirit. And so she takes those gifts, and once they're done with that, they step out. The guy's surrounded by his, his groomsmen, his men, the lady surrounded by her bridesmaids, and they go to a space, and they begin to bathe in a public space but covered and uh, in separate baths, <laughs> just in case, you know, just to clarify. You know, and, and, and this was a sign of them cleansing themselves for each other and preparing themselves for the wedding that is to come. And it was a public expression, a public act. And this is where we get the idea of baptism, of saying I'm cleansing myself for the one that I'm set apart for. And that's where we get the idea of sanctification. Sanctification just simply means being set apart. When you're being set apart for something or set apart for someone. And that's what it speaks to. So they would end in this process. Can you go? And this is where, again, Paul is alluding to in Ephesians 5 when he writes, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that, it, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. They are both preparing, each, preparing themselves for each other in the coming day. And so then they have that, that baptism, that washing moment, and then soon after that washing moment, the, the bridegroom goes to the bride and he says, listen, I'm going to go now to my father's house and I'm going to go prepare our honeymoon suite. I'm going to go prepare a room for you. And then they begin to depart. And they go their separate ways. And uh, John 4, 14, 2 to 3, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so he would go away. He would go away to his, to his father's house. The tradition then is that you would build on your father's land. And then he would go and begin to prepare his home and prepare a honeymoon suite for his, uh, for his bride. And he would go there and zhuzh it up with you know, the grandest, the greatest, and just make this place look awesome. And so after, after he has departed, they are officially betrothed. That's what it's known as, as them being betrothed. So it's like, yes, but not now. Hang in there. And you know, the gap would be about a year, a, a year to two years of waiting. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> it's real. 
a year, a year to two years of, of waiting as he begins to just prepare the house. And while he's preparing the house, she is preparing herself. She is walking around the community with a veil on so that people know that she has been set apart. She has been set apart. She is betrothed. She is entrusted to someone. And no other man can come her way. Everyone knows that she belongs to the, to the groom. And so after the time comes, the father would inspect the chamber or this honeymoon suite that, the, that his son has been putting together and, and would check, okay, is it ready? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? And, the, and the, the, the son wouldn't know if the father would give it a thumbs up. And the son would only be able to go when the father gives it a thumbs up. And so the bride would be hanging at home. And the bride would never be told exactly when the, husband, when the, the, the groom is coming. But word would come to her that, listen, he's going to come in the month of March. So there's no kind of when, but not exactly the day or the time or the hour. But they know, okay, in this season, in these weeks, this guy's going to show up. And so what then she would have to do is get ready. Get ready, because this guy could show up at any moment. And then we read again, Matthew 24 says, but concerning, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Speaking about when Jesus will come again. He says he doesn't even know, because only the Father knows. Because only the Father gives a thumbs up to the Son to say, you prepared the room, the room is ready, go get your bride. So the bride is waiting. And she gets word that he's coming around. Then what also has, happens at that time is the bridesmaids need to get the bride ready. So the bridesmaids make sure they gather around the bride and that they're ready for when the groom comes. Because the tradition was that the groom would come at a funny hour. He'd come at like midnight. And they need to be ready to receive him. As soon as they hear word that the, that the groom is coming, they need to be up and ready with their lamps, ready to escort their friend towards the groom. And this is where we get the parable that Jesus speaks about, the parable of the 11 virgins that are waiting with their lamps. Some of them are ready. Some of them are not ready with their lamps when the bridegroom comes. And it reads, the kingdom of heaven is like, will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to, meet, went to meet the bridegroom. And it speaks about exactly that, is they were waiting for the word that the bridegroom is here so that they could get up and escort their friend towards the groom and so when the time came and the father gave the groom a thumbs up the groom would then head out with his entourage head out with his boys and they're gonna go grab the bride he's been waiting like a year two years so it's real so he's been waiting and so he heads out and what would happen then is that as he's approaching 
the bride's home, he would begin to shout, I'm here for you! I don't know what that is in Hebrew, but something like that. But he'd be like, I'm here for my bride! And there would be this mighty shout that would go out. He would come there dressed in his nice, like his fanciest clothes. Because he's there to collect his bride, right? And she's been waiting and getting herself ready for months upon months upon. So he's there also with his like Armani and he's just like, you know, I'm here, I'm here to collect. So they stand outside and they shout, hey, where's the bride? We're here for the bride. Everyone, so the bridesmaids now get up ready with their lanterns because it's in the midnight hour. They're ready to escort her towards her man. And he comes there and he's also wearing a gold, a gold crown. And this again is a theme that we see in Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, speaking about Jesus returning and coming to fetch his bride. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. That's the other thing they would do. They would blow, they would blow the horn to say we're here. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. So even that idea of caught up, it's that idea that we meet Him halfway as He's coming towards us. And that's the whole idea with the bridal procession. So, so then what would happen is that the whole procession would then go together towards the groom's home. And uh, the groom would finally get to escort his bride into this chamber, into this honeymoon suite that he's been working on for years. And so he'd escort her in there, show her the work of his hands. Just the two of them. The rest of the bridal party would go into the bridal, into the hall where the feast is going to happen. And when they're in there, when they're, they're, they're in the hall, that's where the party happens. And now the wedding is happening. The wedding has started. The, the actual ceremony is happening. People are eating, drinking, feasting. But the best man goes out, outside the, 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 the room now or the house that the, the groom had been preparing. And he sits at the door and he listens out to hear, because this is a moment now where the two will become one flesh. Because they've been waiting for a while. And this is where now the marriage is actually consummated. And so he listens out at the door just to get the thumbs up. You know, it's all good. Are we, you know, oh, are you husband and wife now? And the groom would shout out, yeah, we're good. We're husband and wife now. And then he'd go out into the reception and say, yeah, they are husband and wife now. Then the party would really get started, right? And then what would happen is that the, the bride and the groom would stay in that place that he, he, he created and he built for seven days. And it would just be the two of them in that space, hanging out, just loving on each other. And after that seven days, they would then come out, and then they would take part, and they would feast in the banquet. And that would be the culmination of, of, uh, of this wedding process. And uh, 
you know, they go into the, into the room as bride and groom and they leave as husband and wife. And they begin to go into the community and they celebrate in that way. And again, we see this in scripture. Uh, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist actually speaks about like, like he's the that best man waiting outside the door and says, for yourselves, uh, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has, who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That was John the Baptist saying, listen, I'm his best man. That's why I'm stepping aside as he comes in. Can you go to the next one? Can you go to the picture? Because it's just a great picture. And the party. Yeah, that's right. Then the party starts. And, and that's again where we see Jesus speaking again, referring to this particular banquet. And he refers to it in Matthew 22. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast to his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And we find, as I said, that Scripture actually begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. And so it ends with this massive banquet between Christ and the church, which is His bride, as, as they, they transition from being bride and bridegroom to being husband and wife. And we find that in Revelation 19, right at the end of Scripture. And this is Christ. And we have the celebration as John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And this is where the story kind of ends with, with the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So this is what Jesus came to do here on earth. And so what does it mean for us? Because it can be just some cool Bible knowledge. What does it mean for us today? So we need to understand that we're at that place where we have just left the table. And Jesus has left. Jesus has left. He left to go prepare a, a place for us in his father's house. So we as God's people, as God's church, as God's bride, we're a collective as God's bride. We are betrothed. We're in that space of waiting for our beloved to come back and to take us and to be with us and for us to be one. And so in that waiting, just to think about those things that I spoke about at that table. Firstly, is that cup, that cup of wine that was passed. When we said yes to Jesus, we drank of that cup. That's how we confirmed our commitment to him. And so we need to rethink communion. We need to rethink how we approach the cup and the table. Pastor Mike spoke so well of it today. And Paul writes about it in that uh, 1 Corinthians 11. He says, do this in remembrance. He says, Jesus told him 
This is how it needs to be done. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance how? Remembering that you made a commitment. We've made a covenant. Do this in remembrance of me in that I am coming back. As you drink that cup, remember, ooh, our lover is coming back. The bridegroom is coming back. That's why we drink it, to remember. The other thing is that token, that, that thing that represents kind of like a ring today, is that we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise. We have been promised to another. Now, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us. Another role, which is basically to, to prepare us, to make us purer and purer and purer and purer. It's a, the whole idea of just preparing, preparing us over and over and over and over again. That's what He does. And the other role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Which is simply this, is that the Holy Spirit is here to constantly whisper in our ears the glories of Jesus. He's like Jesus' hype man. You know, He's the one that reminds us how awesome He is, how beautiful He is, how powerful He is, how all that He is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so when we gather together in moments like this to worship, Holy Spirit comes here to open our eyes up to the majesty of Christ. So that in moments where maybe there's another lover or another someone that's trying to woo us, Holy Spirit says, hey, yeah, 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 remember your man. Oh, he's Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he just begins to hide. Oh, and you're like, yeah. And that's why, you know, we raise our hands. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he reminds us in moments, like to this morning we're singing, uh, you know, I only want you. You know, and, and those are songs for the bride. The bride just saying, I only want, and the Holy Spirit's like, remember him. Remember your heart is for him. Remember you're set apart for him. Remember your affections need to be for him and him alone. He's glorious. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He's coming back. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts, woo our hearts constantly. And that's why we need to make room for Him. We need to open our hearts for Him. And then the other thing that was done was the gifts that were given. Again, speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need those gifts. The gifts are there for the beautifying of the bride. We need those gifts. We need those gifts to prepare us, to cleanse us, to zhuzh us up, so that by the time He comes, we're just like, woo! And so I want to encourage you is to pursue those gifts. Find out what gifts God has deposited in you, because they are for the bride. They are for the bride. The healing needs to be here. The bride needs to be whole. Restoration needs to be here. The bride needs to be whole. Edification needs to be here. The bride needs to be, the bride needs to know who she is. So we need those gifts to flow.
And then finally, it, what happened before it was a f- the, the, the betrothal was official was that baptism. And again, Ephesians 5, it speaks about us being washed by the word. Being washed by the word. And it's that idea of just simply letting God's word shape us. Letting his idea of who we are shape us. Being cleansed by him. Let his word, let his word wash us. And so I want to encourage you, you know, we have these moments where we have sermons or we have times of training at times of gathering. We as the bride need to get around that word so that we can be washed. So we can be prepared. And as Revelation 19 says, it says that we, so that we could be robed in those robes and says the righteous deeds of the saints. If we don't know God's word, we won't know what works we're called to do. And that's part of our preparation. But above all, family, what we need to do as God's people, as His bride, is that we need to get ready. We need to get ready. Get ready as a people. As we are those that are in waiting, is get ready. Prepare our hearts. Just decide as individuals and as a community, because we are a community, that we are a people that are set apart, that our affections are for the bridegroom and nothing else. The world may come with other suitors or other people that will try to charm us, And try to have us break this covenant that we have. But we need to stand strong. Surround ourselves with people that will encourage us and say and whisper, our bridegroom is coming. He is coming. People that will say, hey, let's, let's wash in the word. Let's be filled with his spirit. Let's let our gifts flow. Let's get ready. Let's get ready for our bridegroom. Is coming. Amen. Can we stand to our feet? Lord, thank you that we get to be a community that is your bride. And as was established in Genesis between Adam and Eve, is that Eve was Adam's perfect counterpart. And Lord, that is a mystery to us that, that we as people, as your body, could be the perfect counterpart to the perfect Savior. But God, you're able to do it. You're able to prepare us by the power of your Spirit. Thank you that you take broken and messed up people like us and you form us and you forge us and you woo us and you cause us to be a perfect spotless bride without fault or blemish that's what you see and that's what you are making that's what you're shaping in and through us and i pray holy spirit that we would allow you as the church not only the church here in ramesh but the church all over the world that we would allow you to work we would allow you to be that seal in our lives to set us apart that we would allow your gifts that you have given us to work within the midst, within, our, within your body, beautify your bride, preparing your bride 
for your coming. And we thank you, Lord, that you are coming. And it's not a fearful thing. It's not a thing that we're concerned with, we're worried with. But it's something that we look forward to. Because that is what you came on earth to do. It's to pull us together as your bride. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.